Tonight, a special edition of Metro Focus, actor Tom Hanks. The Hollywood heavyweight takes us on his personal journey from the front line to the home front as he works with some of America's bravest warriors by bringing them onto the stage and behind the scenes of theater production and into the world of William Shakespeare. Guys and women who have served our country and now are transitioning into whatever that next phase of their lives are, wouldn't it be great if some of them went into this very line of work, the same one I'm in? Tom Hanks and his support and salute to America's veterans. This very special edition of Metro Focus starts This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wachenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin, the JPB Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Metro Focus. I'm Jack Ford. Tonight, we continue with our series, From the Front Line to the Home Front, an investigation of post-9-11 veterans back home and in transition. But first, here's a question for you. What do Tom Hanks, some of America's bravest warriors, and Shakespeare all have in common? Can take the yes? Well, if not, let me enlighten you. They are all players on a stage, built in a partnership between the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles. Together they are acting, building sets, and producing. Let's take a quick look at some of their work. I'm Tom Hanks. I'm an actor, and I'm playing Falstaff in the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles production of Henry IV on this very stage that has, in fact, been built by veterans. I play Mistress Quickly, who runs the tavern in the play Henry IV. They informed us that we were going to be on the grounds of this beautiful VA facility in West LA. The idea that the veterans in transition were going to be our running crew, and they actually built the sets, and they literally carved a theater out of the woods, out of nothing. Guys and women who, uh, you know, have served our country and now are transitioning into whatever that next phase of their lives are. Wouldn't it be great if some of them went into this very line of work, the same one I'm in? I was in the United States Navy. I did go to Guantanamo Bay. I was a security guard there. I mean, I was in the United States Marine Corps from 1981 to 1985 on the Marine Corps silent drill team, and we traveled all around the world. I learned about the West LA VA through another veteran who was homeless, and I was struggling with a drug addiction at the time. The Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health is sponsoring a big piece of the Veterans and Art program, and they are um, underwriting this special class that we're going to be giving veterans. Came out of all of the conversations was that the veterans really felt that what they wanted most of all was a job. A job that had meaning, a job that was associated with a mission, a job that would help them have a sense of identity and a sense of purpose. So then there is your answer. And for more insight, both Tom Hanks and Ben Donenberg, the visionary behind this job and rehabilitation program, join us now. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Tom, with all the things that you do in your professional life, 
What drew you first to the Shakespeare Center and then to the work that they were doing with the veterans? Well, I'm a professional actor and there's nobody who, the best job an actor can have to, is to be in an ensemble doing something like the greatest work of, of all literature and all of stage. The other thing that is absolutely true is that my life changed the first time I ever was in a play. It was a long time ago. Uh, and the same ha can occur for anybody who has a chance to be exposed to it. You know, an awful lot of the veterans are looking for, let's put it under a bigger subhead of whatever the next chapter is in their lives. And a, an exposure to almost anything that, that attracts their passion can lead them on to uh, the life after serving our country, the life after being in the armed forces. Uh, for us to be able to utilize uh, space like we had at the Veterans Center, which was outdoor. How many plays did we do outdoors at the VA? Uh, uh, six. All right, six. It's outdoors, and that is literally from the ground up, building a, building a, a theater from the ground up. Everything from the seats to the stage to the lightings to the... Uh, to the picnic tables in order to greet people as they arrive. But also then the building of the show itself, when, uh, when we were able to incorporate uh, uh, men and women who were interested in it and then watch their passion develop right before our very eyes and then actually go on and become paid employees of the, of the Shakespeare Center, well, uh, look, that's not just a happy medium. That's actually the high country in which you actually are introducing people to the next, uh, the next group of folks that they will work with perhaps and make a career out of it, but also that fabulous next chapter of their lives that starts from their first exposure to something like being in a play with an ensemble of people, the magic often happens at night and you are everything you do in the course of showing up to work helps aid that production from getting done. Uh, that, that, if you just want to be from an altruistic perspective of what can we do in order, to, in order to just be there for the veterans when they come home, to say more than just thank you for your service, but then inviting them into a brand new different kind of service. When you can do that and have it be as organic as it has been for uh, the Shakespeare Center and the veterans, well, then you're, it's, it's almost selfish to, to think that, hey, we were able to do what we wanted to do and at the same time uh, introduce people to a whole new way of living. Tell me quickly about the Shakespeare Center and then how you decided, let's get involved in these, these programs that can help bring our veterans to a place where they can, can gain knowledge about skills to get them back into the real world. I had been appointed by uh, the President of the United States and unanimously confirmed by the Senate to serve on the National Council for the Arts, which oversees the really important work that the National Endowment does. And we created an amazing program called Operation Homecoming, where we asked vets, uh, with the cooperation of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to begin writing about their stories about coming home. And one of the kind of recurring themes in many of the stories was the difficulty vets had in securing employment. And then all kinds of studies started coming out that said getting jobs for veterans was the single most important factor in helping them make a transition to successful mainstream civilian life. I tried to figure out a way to create a job program that would support the veterans' transitions and uh, went to, back to the drawing board and looked at all the different opportunities we had as we build a Shakespeare play that could be applicable to a veteran skill set. 
And I didn't really know how well it would work out. Uh, so the first year I hired professional theater people to back up the vets, and then I never needed any of them. They kind of came in, <laughs> took over, and ran the show from start to finish. Tom, let me ask you. you. You talked before about an actor. Is there anything better than Shakespeare? And of course, everybody wants to do that. Here you have an opportunity. You talked about Henry IV. You know, in addition to playing Falstaff, you know, a lot of Shakespearean historians say that he's perhaps most of, one of the most fascinating of Shakespeare's character. And plus, you get to wear a fat, a fat suit, which is kind of cool for the audience. Here's Tom Hanks in a fat suit. Yeah, so, I, I, get to, I, I get to lose 180 pounds a night. <laughs> Isn't that great? You, you, get, you need to do a new book on your, the Tom Hanks diet, lose 180 pounds in one night. So my question is, we know what they get out of it. What did you get out of it? They get the same exact core experience that the theater promises in the first place. Participation in something that is greater than yourself. You can only control what your own actions are. You can only learn your own lines. You can only put forward the performance that is inside your own head. And you must rely on everybody else who is in the ensemble on stage with you and is backstage. Uh, listen, my, uh, when we were out on that stage, our professional lives were in somebody else's hands. Because if our radio mics go out, and that was all by that was all a veteran crew that was putting together our sound system. If the cues don't come to us backstage, if the props are not in the place, if our wigs are out of place, and we had veterans who were responsible for all of those different departments of it, that that is that that's the reason that the, the great secret is is that. Um, some of us will do this for for free. Some of us, actually, some of us, some agents, of us don't, do. agents don't want to hear you say they that. They don't That's need to hear that at all. Um, but the the ripple effect of being in a production that is going to run from what was our uh, the first a month, a month from the first of June to the first of July is almost it's not unlike. Um, the, the, the camaraderie and the skills and the expertise and the leadership uh, that is necessary for what they did and uh, the services as it is. When, when we set up our crews, um, we called them squadrons and we had platoon leaders and we used a, a lot of military uh, jargon to help the vets feel comfortable and understand their identities and their mission and the meaning of their job and the purpose of what they were doing, they all related to that kind of language. So it was fun to have that. And, you know, we had an award-winning, Tony Award-winning set designer who said, I've never had the Army build my set. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that, it was that, that kind of stuff. And when the Army puts together that speed rail in order for the people to sit down, you know, you know the, those grandstands aren't moving. <laughs> we, we, we had moments where we were all getting together for one reason or another, everybody involved in the production, and I think even the actors that cast themselves were astounded at how, how big that photograph actually was, how many people came out of the woodwork that were working deeper down in the, uh, in the other folds of the production that we were not even aware that, uh, that they were there. They were an awful lot. We, we had a company photo of 90 people. 90 people, and yeah. only, I'm gonna say, 23 of those were actors. That's Every, right. Everybody else was on the crew, and the vast majority of that were veterans, some of which were not working on their first show, and that's, that's another thing that's important. Right, yeah, some of them had worked with us before uh, in, in years uh, past uh, during the productions. Ben, when I watched some of the videos of this, and, and you both mentioned how you transform a garden at the VA Center um, into a, a setting for a Shakespearean play. I looked at a lot of what you did with Henry IV. Uh, right. and, and it's magical what you turn that garden into. And, and, and in terms of what the workers are doing, 
again, looking at it, my first thought was, this isn't veterans who are working at theater. They, they became theater people and, and who had right. skills. So it, it, you didn't have to put the quotation veterans in front of who they, who they were and what they were doing. Tell me about how, the aftermath of this program. What have they been able to go on to do after one of these productions wraps? In my company, um, in the fall every year, we do a special production for students, high school students, to introduce them to Shakespeare. And we create an immersive haunted house. And we work with guys who worked for Disneyland, creating the haunted mansion and stuff like that. We kept seven of those guys on who specialized for us in lighting and sound and painting and construction. Other guys who worked for us that we didn't hold on to went to work at other theaters as ushers. A couple of them went on to Universal Studios. One of them is a sound engineer now. We particularly focus on vets who are service-connected and part of the vocational rehab program at the VA. So they are referred to us by their clinicians who are working with them because it's been determined that getting a competitive employment environment for them at this point in their lives will be a key transitional opportunity for them. So we hire guys and women who mostly have been out of work for like four or five years. And they begin to see themselves differently. There's a transformation in their self-perceptions. And they begin to realize that the skill sets they built working for the armed forces can apply in other work environments. And so they build this confidence in themselves oh. to get themselves up and out. So uh, other vets go to work in other venues and in different types of jobs that have nothing to do with performing arts, but they get their teeth fixed. They start getting speech coaching. They start dressing differently. They start going out on job interviews. And you know, uh, there's a whole number of veterans that um, are a part of an organization called New Directions at the, at the VA who are convicted felons and have to be there. They're court mandated to be there because they have drug, drug problems and all, all kinds of different issues. Th those guys jumped in and they were, they were thrilled to be a part of this and it really turned a bunch of them around. We had a moment backstage it was, and it happened every single night because uh, 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 myself and a few other cast members were waiting to make our entrance. And we had a few, we had like three minutes in which we had downtime. And um, one of the guys who was responsible for making sure all the props were in the right place, he and I would sit back together. And every night we'd talk about how the show was going, how the audience was reacting, how, how full the moon was that night, or yeah. you know how cold it might be getting. And uh, I can't tell you how often he said, boy, I'm really glad I did this. I can't believe I'm, I'm involved in something that um, is, um, that, is as much fun and was as involving to him as being in this play was. And all I could say to him was that, my friend, I feel the exact same way. Well, it, it goes back to what you said, Tom, before, the value of the arts, what they can bring to our lives, the opportunities and experiences. Both of you clearly are involved in this because you believe it's the right thing. There's value to what you're doing. But I, I also wanted to ask you both, because we were talking about this before we, we got on the air, and I mentioned to you my father-in-law had landed the third wave, Omaha Beach on D-Day, was seriously injured a few days in. And you both mentioned to me, but both of your fathers were involved in World War II. Tom, tell me your story first. Well, my dad was uh, 
Let's see, he was born in 24, so 1941 comes along and do the math for me. What, what did he do? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well, he, he joined as soon as he turned 18. I actually have his, uh, I actually have his photograph from when he enlisted. Uh, and look, he hated the Navy. <laughs> he hated every minute of being in the Navy. Um, uh, he, the, all I knew that he was there, but he went from a small town in Northern California, Willows, who's a son of a farmer, and next thing he knows, he's being taught uh, hydraulics in Pocatello on the, on the Navy's dime, and then he's off somewhere out of Treasure Island to Hawaii, and from Hawaii to some other godforsaken place. The exposure that he had to the world was brought about because the entire country was involved in this thing called the war that, that put the entire world and the lives of our parents in complete total stasis. The fact that they, that, the, that they were part of an entire society that had no idea what was going to be in the future. How long was that war gonna last? 46, 47, 48? Nobody had any idea in 1941 and 1942 and 1943. And the fact that my dad Ben's dad, your dad, were just part of how many millions of Americans who unquestionably signed up for what turned out to be the duration plus six months. That is a self, selflessness um, as well as a sense of national will and responsibility and duty um, that we, there's been no war like it in, in since and there's no sense of of uh, communal service that's been the, the same way outside of what, what your own individual, uh, individual feelings are. Ben, and I, I think, I think that's, an extraordinary, that's an extraordinary common point of uh, experience that literally that is the last generation that, uh, that had it no matter, right. no matter who you are, no matter where you lived. And Ben, your dad's story? Uh, my dad grew up in an orphanage and when he became old enough, he um, signed up for World War II, and they took him overseas to Germany, and they trained him to drive tanks in Germany. And at some point, uh, he never would talk about it, ever. Um, he, he drove a tank, and at some point in the war, my, my mom told me, um, an enemy opened the, the top of the tank and dropped a hand grenade in, and the guy, his tank mate, jumped on top of it and the hand grenade exploded and my dad lived and the guy in the tank with him didn't. Mm. And you're talking and about that's, that notion of selflessness. You know, that's what it. we saw for all of them. Let me come back to one other thing. And this notion of World War II, it's been described as the last good war. Not good in the sense that people died, clearly that's never good, but good in the sense that there was a, a clearly delineated enemy. There were clearly delineated stakes, consequences that were being fought for. And, and all of the people in the military who served in World War II came home, they were embraced. For the most part, they were able to pick up their lives and move forward. Fast forward to the Vietnam War. We rejected so many of those veterans of the Vietnam War uh, because we were angry at why we were there and, 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 and the dissension that it created in this country. We thought we had learned from that. And I think in the last you know, 10, 15, almost 20 years now, even if we disagree with the policies that got us involved in the combat, we learned to honor and respect the service people for their service. And yet it seems, and we've seen this in the series that we've been doing here at Metro Focus, yet it still seems that while we're honoring and respecting, we're not doing enough to open our arms and embrace and bring them into 
as part of that transition, to find the work for them, to understand their problems. Tom, you first. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we've gotten to the first part, honor and respect, but we haven't done enough for the second part? There is no three-act structure to everything that has been going on since uh, World War II. Uh, there is there is diffusion. There is there we, we there is a sense of we're fighting ideas as opposed to a form of government. The you know the the wars that we we try to we try to place upon literally what's going on in Afghanistan and as well as in Iraq and uh, throughout all the trouble spots some sense of geography that makes sense, some sense of uh, of a beginning and a middle and an end to what the story is and. Human nature at this at this juncture does not support that uh, those common the, those common borders and sensibilities. So what are what are I think that what are what are we left in order to truly grasp? And that is the act of service that the veterans themselves are willing to. It's an all volunteer army. It's an all volunteer armed forces. So they we view them as professionals who are still going off and doing as their country asks of them. That is admirable. That, that is something that is, I think, part of our collective American DNA. But what goes along with that, I think is unfortunate, is a lack of that truly understanding of, of, of divisions and of time. Will there ever be a moment where a surrender is signed or, uh, or uh, it's all understood on all parties that an armistice or a ceasefire will go on? No, it's not. And I, and I think that's very difficult. And the, the sensibility of wrapping it all up somehow in, in what is, I think, uh, a genuine feeling of thank you for your service and welcome home is only, I think, the, the first uh, 12 letters of an alphabet that has to go to all 26, in which after that comes along with deeper understanding of what the human psyche and the human body, as, as well as just regular human nature goes through when they are a professional soldier and have gone through two, three, four, five, six tours of duty, where those laws of behavior as we understood them in World War II simply do not apply. We're in a new territory here. We're in a new form of welcoming home, uh, 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 bringing home and, and, uh, and congratulating and, and celebrating and bringing an end to the service of all these veterans. And it needs something more. It needs a, a, a bigger commitment and uh, from those of us who have not served. And that commitment is still being defined. It's, it's an elusive goal. Um, but on, you can only win them on the smallest, tiniest of uh, of, uh, of circumstances, and I think, like what Ben has been able to start with here, you might only be able to, to, to solve, not solve, you might only be able to address the reality five, six, or seven veterans at a time. And you think, well, what is that? That's just a drop in the ocean. Well, what is an ocean but a multitude of drops? You do that enough, and you're going to make real difference in the lives and in the futures of, uh, of the men and women who have come home from very confusing places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and uh, who, who knows what else is going to be coming down the pike. Hey, Ben, I saw you quoted as saying that this is an illustration of, of great art having the capacity to do great things. Do you get a sense, and let's talk about your industry out there, do you get a sense that there are other people out there that are looking over your shoulder, maybe starting to pay attention to this and saying, all right, we, we do a lot of great art in, in the entertainment world. And so let, let's figure out ways for us then to couple to that great art some more great things. Are you seeing that? 
Well, this has been a focus of my company for 32 years. There is, there is a core of people who believe that art has value for art's sake. And I understand that and I support that. But I also think that we can do art for a greater purpose. And so that's been my life's focus. Our company has always been um, putting on really wonderful artistic expression that has been coupled with a driving social mission. And whether it's, you know, instead of charging admission, collecting food and uh, distributing that to family feeding programs or working with uh, kids in the summer who come from poverty threshold families and all that kind of stuff, you can do great art that has a great big impact in the community. And you're asking me, do people know about it now? Yeah, because Tom was a part of it. It raises the profile of everything that we do. And last summer when we did Henry IV, we had folks from your New York Shakespeare Festival coming out to see what we're doing. We had people from Yale's uh, the Yale rep coming out from New England. We had people from all over the country starting to pay attention and saying to themselves now, hey, you know what, why, why can't the veteran been do be doing that job? And then they ask themselves, well, I don't know what's involved with working with veterans, and they get a little frightened. There's, there, there's nothing to be frightened of. Well, I know neither of you are in this to have people thanking you for it. I know you're in it because you want to thank and offer respect and assistance to the, these veterans for what they've done, their service to the country. Um, but despite that, I want to tell you that we are both grateful to you. We're all grateful to both of you for what you've been doing to assist in all of this. So I, I want to thank you so much for Tom and Ben for spending some time. This is an interesting conversation. We could have gone on for hours. Maybe we'll continue it sometime down the road. Thanks. Thanks, Jack. All right, you both, be, you both be well. Take care now. Yeah, you, you too. too. And a reminder for you, for more information on the Shakespeare Center of Los Angeles, the Chapter 31 Vocational Rehabilitation Program through the VA, and the latest movies involving Tom Hanks, make sure you visit us at metrofocus.org.